0: Our Old Testament passage today again continues in one of my favorite books of the Bible, Nehemiah. And maybe it's one of my favorite books in the Bible because I remember when I first became your pastor. Brother Morocco had not left yet and there was a woman evangelist speaking. And all during her sermon, she kept turning around and looking at me and saying, read the book of Nehemiah. God said Nehemiah is for you. Read the book of Nehemiah. God is speaking Nehemiah to your heart. Probably I have studied Nehemiah maybe more than any book in the Bible. There's so much I could teach you from it. It is, it is a book of leadership. It is a book of the reconstruction of the human soul. I'll never forget the studies. I, The first things I ever read from Jack Hayford and, and listened from tapes from Jack Hayford were on Nehemiah and the reconstruction of the human soul. There's so much beautiful truth here. Revival, it's an awesome book. Nehemiah chapter seven, beginning with verse five. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of genealogy of those who had came up at first, and I found written in it. Now, I want you to notice God put it in my heart. There are things that God just puts in your heart, and it's. It's not God speaking to you. It's not the voice of God. But God puts something in your heart that needs to be done. You say, Well, Pastor, how do you know if it's God putting it in your heart or if it's you just ate too much pizza or too much balut last night? Well, I find the things that God put in my heart don't go away, they're not forgotten. They're not in there and out of there. You know, oops, what was I thinking about doing the other day? I can't remember. The things that God puts in your heart, it's like a a slow grow, and it just keeps getting stronger. It keeps keeps nudging at you. Mm -hmm. These were the people of the province who came up from the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his town. The came was Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ra'amiah, Nahamiah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Misferath, Bigviah, Nehum, Ba'ana. And the, number of, the number of the men of the people of Israel the sons of Parosh, 2,172. The sons of Shephatiah, 374. The sons of Ara, 672. The sons of Pahath Moab, namely the sons of Jeshua and Moab, 2,818. The sons of Elam, 1,254. The sons of Zatu, 845. The sons of Zakiah, 760. The sons of Benui, 648. The sons of bebaya 628. The sons of Azgad, 2,322. The sons of Adoakam, 667. The sons of Bigvia, 2,067. The sons of Aden, 655. The sons of Atter, namely of Hezekiah, 98. The sons of Hashum, 328. The sons of Beziah, 324. The sons of Harif, 112. The sons of Gibeah, 95. The men of Bethlehem and Netopath, 188. The men of Anahatha, 128. The men of Beth-azmavah, 42. The men of Kiriath, Jiliam, Chepharah, and Beroth, 743. The men of Rama and Giba. 621. The men of Mikmash, 122. The men of Bethel and Ai, 123. The men of the other Nebo, 52. The sons of the other Elam, 1254. The sons of Hiram, 320. The sons of Jericho, 345. The sons of Lod, Hadid, and Ono, 721. The sons of Saniah, 3930. The priests, the sons of Jadiah, namely of the house of Jeshua, 973. The sons of Emer, 1052. The sons of Pasher, 1247. The sons of Hiram, 1017. The Levites, the sons of Jeshua, namely Kadmiel of the sons of Hadovah, 74. The singers, the sons of Asath, 148. The gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Atar, the sons of Talmon, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hatita, the sons of Shobaya. 138. The temple servants, the sons of Ziha, the sons of Hasufa, the sons of Tabaoth, the sons of Keros, the sons of Siya, the sons of Padon, the sons of Labana, the sons of Hagaba, the sons of the the sons of Hanan, the sons of Gidel, the sons of Gahur, the sons of Ra'iah, the sons of Rizan, the sons of Nakoda, the sons of Gazam, the sons of Uzha, the sons of Passiah, the sons of Pisaiah, the sons of Ma'unim, the sons of Nefuhisam, the sons of Bakup, the sons of Akupa, the sons of Hahur, the sons of Baslith, the sons of Mahida, the sons of Harasha, The sons of Barcos, the sons of Serasa, the sons of Temat, the sons of Naziah, the sons of Atipa, the sons of Solomon's servants, the sons of Sotiah, the sons of Sopharath, the sons of Perida, the sons of Jaala, the sons of Darkon, the sons of Jedel, the sons of Shephatiah, the sons of Hatio, the sons of Poshereth Hazaberim, the sons of Amon, all the temple servants and the sons of Solomon's servants were 392. We almost read that many names, do The following were those who came up from Telmaath, Telhasha, Cherub, Adon, and Emer, but they could not prove their father's houses nor their descent, whether they belonged to Israel. The sons of Deliah, the sons of Tobiah, the sons of Nakoda, 642. Also of the priests, the sons of Hobiah, the sons of Hazgah, the sons of Barzillah, who had a wife taken of the daughters of Barzillia, the Gideonite, were also called by their name. These sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but it was not found there. So they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them they were not to partake of the most holy food until a priest with the Urim and Thurim should arise. The whole assembly together was 42,360. That's what was left. That's the remnant of Israel besides their male servants and female servants, of whom there were 7,337. And they had 245 singers, male and female. Their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435, and their donkeys 6,720. Now, I want you to notice something here. Donkeys, 6,700 and donkeys for 4,360 people. Obviously, donkeys were important to every family. Now, some of the heads of the father's houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 derricks of gold, 50 basins, and 30 priest garments and 50 minas of silver. And some of the heads of the father's houses gave into the treasury the work 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. And what the rest of the people gave was 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 priest garments. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, and some of the people, the temple servants, and all of Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. And notice, they had not populated Jerusalem. In our last study, we learned that Jerusalem was pretty much still empty of people. These people lived across the rest of what we would call the land of Israel. Chapter eight, verse one. And all the people gathered as one man, all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. Now when it says all the people, it meant all the people, the 42,000 people of the remnant. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Now, notice they told Ezra. They didn't look for Elishib. They didn't look for these guys who were compromising with Samballat and Tobiah. They looked for Ezra. A man that we learned in earlier morning devotions, who studied the word, who lived the word, and who taught the word. When people want to know God, they don't look to religious people; they look to people of the word. Now I say this for some, from young pastors out there. Some of you young pastors, you you see a celebrity style of ministry today, and you you you. You think, Lord, can I ever compete? Well, number one, it's not about competition. But young pastors, listen to me. There's going to come a point in our nation when the people want the word, and when the people want the word, they won't be going to these, you know, Facebook slogan places. They'll be looking to you, young man and young woman, who have studied the word, who live the word and who teach the word. And there will be a huge, huge change in church attendance, so to speak, okay? What was large will now be small, and what was small will now be large, unless you get back to teaching the word. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. So these are the kids. How old should it be before the kids sit in regular services? Whenever they can understand. Now, some kids prefer to be in kids' church, but sometimes the ushers get upset with me and they say, Pastor, they're too young. They should be in kids' church. And the parents say, Pastor, they understand and they want to be in the main service. Then you know what? Then they should be in the main service. And all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Their ears were attentive, they were dialed in, they were paying attention. Now I I can tell you as a pastor, there are sermons that you preach where everybody's rejoicing and they're excited. And then there are sermons that you preach where every ear is dialed in. They are attentive. There's something that they're hearing that's about to change their life, and they know it. And those are not the services where everybody jumps and shouts. Those are services of change. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that he had made for this purpose, and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Anaya, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masaya on his right hand, and Pedaya, Mishael, Makajah, Hashum. Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Mishalam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. Now notice, all the people stood. They stood in respect for the word of God. Amazing. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now notice, he opened the book, the people stood, he blessed the Lord, they worshiped. All of this took place before the study. So he opened the book, the people stood, he blessed the Lord, the people bowed their heads and worshiped. All of this occurs before. See this is called preparation to receive. <clears throat> preparation to receive the word. It's all about your attitudes, the attitudes of your heart. Also Jehua, Bani, Sarabiah, Jamin, Akub, Sabathiah, Hodiah, Basia, Kalita, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Balaya the Levites helped the people understand the law while, they remained, while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. In other words, they read and preached. They explained it to the people. Now, you know, I, I know that there are some today that say that we should just read the Bible and, and you know, just that's all that needs to be done but that's not true. They read, they gave the sense so that the people could understand the reading. They explained it to the people. So this is called reading and preaching. And Nehemiah, who was the governor and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord, your God. Do not mourn and weep. For the people wept as they heard the words of God. Why? Repentance they saw all the things that they had been doing wrong and their hearts were broken because of, of the lives that they had been living. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. But this day is holy to the Lord our God and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now I want you to notice joy in the time of repentance. Now, now, beloved, sometimes when people repent, the grief is pretty strong, okay? The grief is pretty strong. And you need to remind them, hey, this is a good day. Lives are being changed. Get some food. Drink. It's not drinking alcohol. Drink sweet wine, all right? And send portions. Be show sure generosity. Don't be grieved. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, they would need strength. Now, any of you that have ever been through revival know that you need strength. Why? Because you're in church a lot, as you'll see here in just a little while. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went on their way to eat and drink and to send portions and make great rejoicing. Great rejoicing because they understood the words that were declared to them. These are good news words. On the second day, the heads of the father's houses and all the people with the priests and Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem, go out into hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle and palm and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square of the water gate and the square of the gate of Ephraim. In other words, the whole city was filled with these booths. And all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, Joshua, the son of Nun, To that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. Okay. Long season of ignored truth. The Feast of Booths was a great celebration and a tremendous truth for the people of Israel to to remember God's deliverance. But they had forgotten that truth from the time of Joshua until the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Amazing. Amazing. And there was a great rejoicing. So can you imagine the city that has been deserted and very few homes, and now 42,000 people build little bottom temporary booths, like like, a, like you'd build when you were going out into the province. And when I was a Boy Scout, we build these little things like lean twos to sleep under, made of twigs and sticks and branches and leafy bows. Okay. And day by day, from the first to the last day, he read from the book of the law, all right? So the priority, priority is the word. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule, according to the rule. God has rules, all right? This this is another one of those lists that you should make, God's rules. And just look up the word rule at a concordance and list down all the things about it all right let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship Lord, thank
1: you Lord Jesus because you Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, praise then he said in the name of Jesus oh I saw the Lord Amen. and he answered me and deliver me from everything those who look on him our radiant they'll never be ashamed they'll never be ashamed this woman cried and the lord save me from
0: Our New Testament passage today picks up in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. Now, regarding the questions you ask in your letter, now notice, this is Paul's letter is a response. And a lot of times people don't understand this, and so they misunderstand the things Paul is saying. A lot of what Paul is writing here in 1 Corinthians is a response to their questions. They had sent him a letter full of questions, and he responds. Now, regarding your questions you ask in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there is so much sexual immorality, and we think we have so much today, can you imagine if every Catholic church believed that the nuns were there as part of their worship to be paid prostitutes and walk the streets of every neighborhood and have sex with men for a fee every night, and the men were to have sex with these women as a part of their worship, can you imagine how decadent the city would be? Of course. Well, Aphrodite's temple, that's exactly what the priestesses did. So there was so much sexual immorality. He said, because there's so much sexual immorality, Each man should have his own wife. Now, I didn't say multiples. Each man, singular, should have his own wife, singular. And each woman should have her own husband. Now, notice, again, this is single, singular. This is not not plural. This is not multiple wives and multiple husbands, all right? Because there's so much sexual immorality. Every man should have his own wife, one, And each woman should have her own husband, one. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. All right. And the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. All right, straight up talk. That's not being gross or graphic or pornographic, but God says the husband should fulfill the needs of the wife sexually. She she wants sex and the husband should, should have sex with his wife. And the husband wants sex and needs sex and the wife should have sex with her husband. It's just that simple. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. So notice this is a mutual gift. Now, men, like it or not, you have given, this is past tense, you have given authority over your body to your wife. And ladies, you have given authority over your body to your husband. So, you know, please, I'm gonna talk about straight up things because this is real church. You know, ladies, you you can't get mad at your husband and say, well, I'm gonna withhold sex for the next 60 days because he didn't buy me the purse I wanted, you know? And husbands, you can't say, well, I'm going to withhold sex from my wife because I don't like how she treated me. So, hmm. you know, guys, please forgive me, but such pettiness. Ladies, when you got married, you gave authority over your body to your husband. You guys are one flesh. And guys, you gave authority over your body to your wife. When your wife wants sex, guys, okay. Ladies, when you or husbands, when your wife wants sex, go for it. And ladies, when your husband wants sex, go for it. Now, let me just throw this in there. That means you can't have all the kids in the bed. One of the biggest challenges of sexual immorality is because kids are in the bed all the time and there can be no spontaneity of sexual relationships. It cannot be because you've got all the kids in the bed. So our prayer is for God to give you your own home with multiple bedrooms And husband and wife can have their own room and not worry about what the kids are seeing. Pastor, you're being pornographic today. No, I'm being pastoral today. All right. Do not, this is a command. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy. So you both agree after all, because remember you've given authority for a limited time. So, that you can give yourself more completely to prayer. All right, so there's only one reason. And that is agreed upon, time bound, and for prayer. Now, especially if you're going into a 10 day fasting and prayer, it's a little more difficult. Afterwards, you should come together. He said, when you you finish this, when you say, all right, for the next 10 days, we're going to be fasting and praying. We agree to this. Okay. Well, then on the 11th day afterwards, you should come together again. You should have sex again. Why? So that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now notice, when there is a fulfillment of sexual activity within the marriage, when The husband and the wife are fulfilling their responsibilities to each other. There is no need for self-control because you are satisfied, okay? The lack of self-control, self-control is only needed when abstaining, okay? When you're in a normal sexual relationship with your Asawa, You're not looking around at the others. You're fulfilled. Yeah. I say this as a concession, not as a command. But I wish everyone were single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it is better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. Now, again, when you're married, you're not burning with lust. You're satisfied. A married relationship is satisfied. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. But for those who are married, I have this command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband. But if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him and the husband must not leave his wife. Now I will speak to the rest of you. Now notice, it says, a wife must not leave her husband. You know, as as a pastor I've learned, we always blame the guy. Okay, I don't know what it is in society but we always blame the guy. But notice that Paul says first, the wife must not leave her husband. In my experience, women leave as often as the men leave. But if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. Now I will speak to the rest of you. Though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to continue to living with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer and he's willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. We're reading from the New Living Translation. Makes it a little clearer. Otherwise, your children will not be holy, but now they are holy. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. He said, now listen, if, if your unsaved Asawa leaves, then let them go. Now stay single, but let them go. Don't your wives, don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? Ah, there's some real practical stuff in there. All right, a little bit of Proverbs for some wisdom before we go today. Proverbs chapter eight, beginning with verse 12. I wisdom dwell with prudence. You you won't find wisdom with risk takers. You find wisdom dwelling with prudence. Not with risk. And I find knowledge and discretion. I like the New Living on that. It says, I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. So wisdom lives with prudence and it knows where to find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. If you fear God, if you respect God, you hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. So wisdom hates pride, arrogance, the way of evil, and perverted speech. One, two, three, four. Four things wisdom hates. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight, I have strength. All right, so four things. One, two, three, four, four three, four. Four things you find with wisdom. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. This is the fruit of wisdom. By me, princes rule and nobles, and all who govern justly. This is the fruit of wisdom. With wisdom, you begin to make, and I'll just sum it up, good decisions. Wisdom allows you to make good decisions in your guidance and leadership of other people. All right, we're running out of time today. We'll see you tonight, seven o'clock, as we get back into the book of 1 Corinthians. We'll see you then.